Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 10 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 5, Episode 9 for Part 1 of this two-part case. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. Ian Sims was in the dock at Liverpool Crown Court. He was accused of murdering Helen McCourt, who vanished in February 1988. Her body was still missing. Despite the overwhelming forensic evidence, Sims insisted he was innocent. On the second day of the trial, the jury were transported by minibus to the public house where the prosecution alleged that Sims brutally killed Helen before hiding her body. Since Sims was arrested 12 months earlier, shutters still covered the windows. A crowd of around 100 people gathered on the opposite side of the road, including Helen's family, as they watched the jury examine the outside of the building. Ian Sims returns to the scene of the crime, the George and Dragon public house which he ran in the village of Billinge near St Helens. He was brought here under escort during the trial 
when the jury and the judge, Mr. Justice Caulfield, came to see where Helen McCord was killed. The defendant reportedly showed little emotion. He was smartly dressed, carrying a set of documents and photographs. Carpets and furnishings that were removed for forensic analysis had been returned just as they were, including a number of prominent bloodstains. Several witnesses would take the stand, including Helen's mother. Through streams of tears that were wiped away with a white handkerchief, she described to the court what her daughter had been wearing on the day she disappeared. Helen's clothing and personal effects were shown to her mother, who confirmed each item of evidence belonged to Helen. While a co-worker confirmed that she spoke with Helen about the fight in the Georgian Dragon pub, Mary McCourt was unaware her daughter had been in an altercation. Helen made no mention of the incident when she got home. Tracy Hornby also took the stand. The 22-year-old was having an affair with Ian Sims at the time of Helen McCourt's death. She spoke about how she had met Sims, how they had gone abroad together, and how she was still in love. The witness described that Helen would sometimes stay in the pub when they had lock-ins after hours, and she knew plenty of the pub's regulars. While Tracy was not present when the fight between Helen and Janice Smullen occurred on February 7th, 1988, as she was upstairs in the flat above the pub, she was told by Sims that he had tried to break them up. The reason for the run-in was said to involve a picture that Helen had in her possession of a young couple. The image showed Janice Smullen's then-boyfriend and his old girlfriend. Two days later, the day Helen disappeared, Tracy arrived at the pub around quarter to nine in the evening. She would usually meet Sims at 7pm, but he had asked that she come around later. Tracy went up to the flat, however she could not gain access as her key would not work. She proceeded through a different door and noticed that the door she usually entered through had been locked from the inside a fact she thought strange as it had never been locked before. Tracy watched television until Sims arrived around 10pm. It was then she saw the scratches to his neck, and he told her that they were from his wife Nadine. She believed the marks were not present before this incident, which raised the question of why Sims would tell an officer that they were inflicted during a fight between Helen and Janice Smullen. Soon after Sims' arrival at the pub, he requested Tracy go downstairs and ask if the new barmaid needed any help. However, when Tracy returned to the flat, as she was not required, Sims had taken a shower. The pair then retired to bed. The following day, Tracy noticed Sims had a mark on his lip, 
However, Sims claimed that he had been careless while shaving. When the details began to emerge that Helen was missing, it was in fact Sims who raised the topic of her disappearance. Sims told Tracy Hornby that he did not know much about what might have happened as after seeing his wife, he travelled to Southport Promenade to reflect on his troubles. The last time Sims spoke with Tracy before his arrest was over the phone when he explained that he was going to the police station to make a witness statement about Helen as she was a regular in the pub. Sims was not under arrest at this point but needed someone to look after the business in his absence. He had at first been questioned by detectives at the George and Dragon. He became more erratic struggling to form sentences, especially when officers asked if they could question some of his bar staff at the police station, and then they started inspecting the bath in the flat above the pub. Officers noticed it was full of dirt and grit deposits, and what looked to be sand. Nervously, Sims said it must have been tracing. In the past, Sims had asked a number of employees never to let his wife and their two children up the stairs of the pub, as he might be in the flat with Tracy Hornby. One of those individuals was Kenneth Booth, who worked as a part-time barman. He saw the aftermath of the fight between Helen McCourt and Janice Smullen. The pair were at first arguing at the bar before being told to keep the noise down. Janice then followed Helen who had run into the toilets in tears. The fight broke out and Sims who just so happened to be coming down some stairs from the flat had to separate them. Kenneth Booth testified that although he did not see the fight, he did however witness Sims pull Janice away and yell at Helen to get out. Booth saw no blood and certainly no marks on any of the people involved including Ian Sims. Some patrons in the pub witnessed the row. This included both Tracy Hornby's sister and Helen's friend. They overheard words between Janice Smullen and Sims when she was frustrated that she had been the one Sims had restrained. Janice shouted, Why are you taking her side? I thought you hated Helen. Sims replied to Janice, I do. When later asked why Sims hated Helen, Tracy Hornby's sister simply said it was the way she was with him, although did not expand further. The injuries that Ian Sims sustained were examined by a police doctor when he was taken into custody. At St Helens Police Station, There were several small scratch marks that covered Sims' arms, body and legs. They were consistent with abrasions from both long fingernails and thorns from brambles. Sims repeated the same story, telling the doctor that the injuries related to an incident on February 7th, two days before Helen disappeared, and were caused by Janice Smullen. However, he would later admit that some of the marks could be from some brambles when he had been out walking his dog. 
to confirm if Janice Smullen's fingernails caused the injuries, she was examined by another doctor. He stressed that her nails were short and brittle, so they could not have caused the scratches. Further witnesses would testify that on the evening of Helen's disappearance, around 15 minutes after she was last seen, some loud noises emanated from the flat above the pub. Then later, the car that belonged to Ian Sims, a dark blue Volkswagen, was seen exiting the pub car park at some speed, nearly causing an accident. A witness working in the pub's restaurant shortly after the crime was said to have taken place had recalled noises coming from the room above, almost as if someone was dragging a large object across the floor. A day after Helen went missing, her three uncles went to visit the village pub to see if anyone there knew where their niece might be. They spoke to Ian Sims, who seemed uneasy, and when first asked if he had seen Helen, He acted as if he did not know anyone by that name. He then said that Helen rarely spent much time in the pub. Sims then began to ask if Helen's relatives knew what the police had found out, before quickly excusing himself from the conversation. Suspicions of Ian Sims' involvement in the crime were ignited further during his questioning by detectives, details of which were presented in court. He was asked why the young woman he was having an affair with did not see the scratches two days before Helen disappeared. Sims said that he had used makeup to conceal the marks as he did not initially want her to know because she disliked the woman that allegedly inflicted them. Sims claimed that he had used makeup in the past to cover up the injuries he received from kickboxing. What's more, when presented with the clothes, footwear and bar towels that were discarded at Manchester Ship Canal, he at first said he did not know who they belonged to. After being questioned further, he finally admitted that the clothes and boots were his, and the bar towels did come from the pub. But conveniently, he said that he had been concerned leading up to the incident, as he was aware that people were accessing his flat without his knowledge. The keys to his car had been left out. Sims was of the belief that someone had stolen his clothing, including his underwear, killed Helen, then used his vehicle to transport the body in the early hours while he was asleep, before returning the car. He admitted to driving to Hollins Green the following morning on an errand to book some pub entertainment, specifically a troupe of exotic dancers. However, they were not there when he arrived. Sims continued to deny that he was involved in Helen's death and claimed any inconsistencies in his story were down to how he was being asked questions by detectives. By the third week of the trial, the jury would finally hear from Ian Sims. Questioned by his defence counsel John K. Q. C. about Helen McCourt, 
Sims told the jury at Liverpool Crown Court that she would visit the Georgian Dragon public house frequently. Asked if there had ever been any sexual contact between them, Sims claimed that they had kissed on one occasion during September 1987. Following a lock-in at the pub in which Sims' wife was not present and his girlfriend Tracy Hornby was asleep, Sims said that he and Helen were drunk and she was still upset following the breakup from her former boyfriend. The pair allegedly kissed briefly before Helen backed away and they both agreed they should not get involved. In Sims' opinion, this explained why her hair and clothing fibres may have been found in the flat above the pub. It was, however, only Sims' account to go by. Sims was questioned about what sort of relationship he had with Helen, and he replied, Helen used to say things like, I'm drinking too much, and I replied, Helen, if you stop drinking in here, I won't be able to go to Tenerife for my holidays. According to Sims, he confided in Helen, often speaking about his life. Sims was married with two young children, Stuart and Leanne. Along with his wife, they shared the property on Birchley Road in Billinge with Sims' mother. However, he rarely slept at the address. He began an affair with Tracy Hornby, with the pair meeting more frequently from November 1986. As far as Sims was aware, his wife did not know that he was sleeping with another woman. In court, he was questioned about his affair by prosecutor Brian Leveson QC and the occasion when, during November 1987, his wife and children went abroad on holiday to Spain. Sims claimed he had to stay home to work. He was not in fact working, but on a holiday of his own with Tracy Hornby. They travelled to Tenerife. Sims was also forced to acknowledge that he had lied to police while being questioned, but professed that he only told Janice Smullin that he hated Helen to calm her down following the altercation in the pub. He also said that he was not agitated when questioned by detectives, and the summary taken of his responses when he was interviewed was inaccurate. When asked if he was responsible for Helen McCourt's death, Ian Sims said, I have not seen her since the Sunday night. I have never set eyes on her. I never touched her. After the jury were presented with evidence over the course of several weeks, the prosecution and defence began their closing arguments. Ian Sims watched on from the dock. It was his 33rd birthday. Sims had argued that the evidence was planted. He claimed that someone had stolen his clothes before killing Helen, then used his car to hide the body. His defence counsel John KQC accepted that he did not approve of his client's behaviour sleeping with another woman while married, but he claimed that Sims' actions were not that of a guilty man. His client was only nervous when he spoke to the police 
as Sim's affair was about to be discovered by his wife. Counsel for the defence suggested that the actions taken by the man who was truly responsible for Helen's murder disposed of Sim's clothes in a place he knew they would be discovered. Questioning why someone who had managed to conceal a body from the police, only to carelessly discard evidence, Kay said, The prosecution say this man has been a clever person responsible for this operation. Yet they say this same man dropped clothing in the middle of a pathway. Kay warned the jury to approach the evidence, especially the forensic evidence, with extreme caution. We submit and submit that if you look at the totality of the evidence, there are features which make one say in all probability someone has deliberately tried to make it look as if Ian Sims is responsible. On the other hand, Prosecutor Brian Leveson QC was resolute that Ian Sims was responsible and evidence of his guilt was overwhelming. Leveson said Sims lied to detectives. He only changed his story when he realised the explanation he was giving was not going to work. Also, Sims had a dog and there was no indication by any witnesses near the pub that the animal barked during the period in which the defendant claimed it was possible his clothes were stolen. The prosecutor said the only evidence in this case pointed to the defendant. In his summation, trying to find a reason as to why Helen died, Leveson said, Was it something to do with her discussing the incident on Sunday at a time when Ian Sims was concerned about Tracy? Was there some row? We don't know. Only two people can tell us. One of them is dead. The Crown submits that you have absolutely no doubt at all that the other is now sitting in the dock. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Before the jury reached their decision, the judge, Mr. Justice Caulfield, asked them to reach a unanimous verdict. In the final major case of his long career, the 75-year-old judge told the jurors they had to be sure Helen was no longer alive and Sims intended to end her life or cause her serious bodily harm. Quote, If Ian Sims is guilty of murder, he had no respect for the corpse. Those who loved Helen were denied the tribute they could have paid to her. What remains of Helen McCourt? Just a few strands of hair. As the judge concluded his remarks, he referred to Helen's mother as poor Mrs. McCourt. He clarified, I do not seek sympathy for her in preference to the defendant. She remains poor Mrs. McCourt, whatever the verdict in this case. On Tuesday, March 14th, 1989, 13 months after Helen first disappeared and following a three-week trial, the jury would pass judgment on whether she was murdered. Although they deliberated for five and a half hours, it was a day earlier than expected. The public gallery erupted into claps and cheers when the unanimous verdict was read aloud. In stark contrast, Helen's family and several members of the jury were extremely distraught. Ian Sims hung his head in disbelief. He would be facing a life sentence. Sims shouted, Never seen that girl, as he was led away from the dock. He was handed a minimum term of 16 years. Detectives think Helen may have been buried somewhere near the Manchester Ship Canal, 
Only one man knows for certain. Tonight, Helen's mother pleaded with him to reveal just where he's buried her daughter. He knows he's going down for life. There's nothing more for him. So, pleased to God that he will open his mouth and say what he's still. While the jury had answered the question who killed Helen McCourt, one riddle remained. Where was her body? A spade which had belonged to the previous owner of the Georgian Dragon pub that he had left behind was found by a police diver in a water-filled clay hole near where the clothing evidence had been discarded. The police were resolute in their belief that Sims had buried Helen's body in an unmarked grave between the locations where the evidence of the crime had been left. Detective Chief Superintendent Eddie Aldred leading the Merseyside CID told reporters, Our main task now is to find Helen's body. For the sake of her family, we have got to find her. After Ian Sims' conviction, every weekend Helen's mother, along with her family, would reconvene in fields, at riverbanks, and secluded areas of land looking for her remains. Shortly after what would have been Helen's 24th birthday, her mother Mary travelled to Rome for an audience with the Pope. She explained that her daughter was murdered, but Helen's body had not been found. The Pope offered prayers for both her family and the safe return of Helen's body so it could be buried on consecrated ground. Speaking to reporter Harry Dean, Mary McCourt described the experience, which she labelled a pilgrimage. Helen's mother said, It had given me more strength to keep going and cope. I feel more at ease, but I still cannot settle because Helen's body has not been found. I feel I have to do everything I can to help her be found. As the search continued, several weeks after the trial, Sims' legal team confirmed he was seeking leave to appeal the verdict as he believed the jury's decision was unsafe. Sims even wrote an open letter from his prison cell in Wakefield. He claimed that there was new evidence that had not been presented at the trial that would exonerate him. At the beginning of May 1990, 14 months after his conviction, an application for Sims' case was to be argued before three judges at the High Court in London. However, due to a delay in the allocation of legal aid, the proceedings could not go ahead. Or at least they could, but Sims would have to defend himself. Arguments were eventually heard in October. Sims' counsel David Turner claimed his client was innocent, despite admitting there was a substantial amount of evidence that pointed to Sims' involvement. The crux of the appeal was based on the fact the judge did not direct the jury correctly concerning the possibility of a manslaughter charge. Although the issue the defence faced was the fact that Sims never claimed he was acting in self-defence nor was he provoked, so it made the argument redundant. 
Ian Sims never produced any fresh evidence, and his appeal was declined. The verdict was found to be in no way unsafe. Alan's mother, Mary, wrote to Ian Sims at Wakefield, asking that he show some compassion. Describing the action her family had taken to find Helen's body, Mary wrote, They have crawled through rat-infested tunnels and drains, down old mine workings and chest-deep in canals and ponds. They have cleared a mine shaft with their bare hands and dug with spades for mile after mile. And still, for my sake and Helen's, we will go on looking as long as it takes. Please tell me where you have buried Helen. If not for my sake, then for your own. Sims continued to deny he was responsible and claimed that he prayed every day that Helen's body would be found. In October 1991, Helen's mother met with Diana Lamplew, who ran the Susie Lamplew Trust. The organisation was set up after Diana's daughter Susie was reported missing in Fulham, London during 1986, just under two years before Helen was murdered. It is presumed Susie was murdered, however no one has been charged with the crime. Mary McCourt was offered advice and support in her relentless search for her daughter's remains. She was clear. Mary never wanted another parent to go through what she had been through. A mass would be held every year on the anniversary of Helen McCourt's death. A decade would pass, during which time there had been several futile searches by the police. Mary McCourt marked the milestone with a service at St Mary's Church in Billinge. Helen would have been 32. Her mother said, It doesn't seem like ten years. The memory is so vivid. It seems like yesterday when Helen disappeared. But in those ten years, I've aged a lifetime. In an interview with a journalist for the Liverpool Echo, Mary McCourt spoke about what life was like. We still go out, but not as often. I'll never stop searching, but I've probably got to accept now that we will not find her. I'm sure she will be found one day, just not while I'm alive. That's why it gets harder, because there isn't much hope. Eleven years later, Ian Sims had been in prison for two decades. By 2009, he was in a jail cell at HMP Garth, a Category B men's prison near Leyland in Lancashire. He had disputed the familial DNA evidence which was retested. With the leaps in scientific understanding, the results were even more accurate and even more damning. The outcome suggested that the possibility that the DNA found in the blood in Sims' flat belonged to someone other than the offspring of Helen's parents 
was 9 million to 1. Despite this result, Sims continued to protest his innocence. It was due to appear at a second parole hearing in April 2009, however chose not to attend. It would seem the reason for his reluctance to attend was the fact that Helen's mother, Mary McCourt, would be there, providing a submission. She could have looked him in the eyes for the first time since the trial, telling the board that Sims should remain behind bars. He had yet to admit where Helen's remains were buried, and Mary was worried if he were to be released, what was stopping him from going back to the burial site and desecrating Helen's body. He could go and dance on my daughter's grave, and I don't even know where it is. If you keep silent enough and just keep saying I'm innocent, then eventually they'll say, well, okay, then you can be released. We we just love Helen. We just... I know she'll never come back and walk through. But I just want to know she's resting. After a review by the parole board, Sims was not recommended for early release on licence. Several more hearings would follow, and each time Sims was denied parole. A marble memorial bench was put up on the grounds of St Mary's Church in Billinge, where Helen's mother always marked the anniversary of her daughter's death. The engraving reads, In loving memory of Helen McCourt, died 9th of February 1988, aged 22. Loved every minute, missed every day. By the end of December 2015, almost 28 years since Helen had been murdered, her mother began a campaign for a change to the law. Helen would have been 50 if she was still alive. The proposal, named Helen's Law, would see that a murderer who failed to reveal the location of their victim's remains should stay behind bars for life. MP for St Helens North, Conor McGinn, supported the cause. I think we have a duty to marry and to other families to ensure that people who commit these heinous crimes show no remorse and torment them should not be able to be released back into society. A Change.org petition was set up so the issue could be raised in Parliament. It read in part, To lose a loved one is devastating. To lose a loved one to murder is horrific. To be denied their funeral causes unimaginable suffering. I have endured this nightmare for almost 28 years. Ian Sims is serving a life sentence on overwhelming forensic evidence for the murder of my daughter Helen McCourt, aged 22, on the 9th of February 1988 in Billinge, Lancashire. For almost three decades, Sims has refused to reveal the whereabouts of Helen's body, denying us the chance to grant her the dignity of a funeral and resting place. 
The petition reached nearly 150,000 signatures in its first week, and currently three quarters of a million people support the cause. The petition to change the law was successful. A bill regarding prisoners withholding information, also known as Helen's Law, slowly made its way through Parliament. However, the process was not quick and was further delayed by hold-ups including several general elections. They swiftly passed through the House of Commons during March 2020. The Prisoners' Disclosure of Information About Victims Bill did not just relate to the non-disclosure of a body, but also the non-disclosure of a child's identity in the photos of indecent images. While there were guidelines already in place around withholding information, a parole board would now be legally required to assess non-disclosure before a decision is made on the possibility of an inmate being released. As at the time of this recording, the bill is currently heading for the final stages of scrutiny by Parliament. So where are we now? Although the upcoming changes to the law were welcome news for most... Helen McCourt's killer, Ian Sims, had already been released on parole. The Justice Secretary made attempts to step in following a request from Helen's mother, asking the Parole Board for England and Wales to reconsider. However, they rejected the government's appeal. In its response, the Board provided the reasons for their decision. Quote, Taking into account the denial the refusal to reveal where the victim's body is, all the risk factors, the progress that Mr Sims has made, the considerable change in his behaviour, the fact that he has not been involved in any violence or substance misuse for many years, his protective factors, the recommendations from all the professionals and all the evidence presented at the hearing. The panel was satisfied that Mr Sims met the test for release. Ian Sims was now a free man, or at least he could experience life beyond the prison walls while on licence. He was photographed in Birmingham City Centre while in temporary release. The image was published in the Daily Mail. Sims was confronted and asked, where is Helen's body? He replied, If I knew where the body was, I would never have done 16 years extra in prison, would I? He refused to say any more as he claimed it would breach the terms of his licence conditions. Mary McCourt has mounted a legal challenge against the parole board's decision to release Ian Sims which was heard at London's High Court during the end of July 2020. It was alleged the board did not carry out an adequate set of questioning to provide a full picture to make a comprehensive assessment. Mary McCourt said, 
I am making a stand for all families of missing murder victims and hope and pray that my claim succeeds. The decision on whether or not Ian Sims should be returned to jail unless he discloses the location of Helen McCourt's body has yet to be made. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Kathleen Lind, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.